The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Solnier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition for this week. Um, We are recording this on the uh, first day of December in 2023. So I point that out because for me, the holiday season kind of starts in my mind once we actually hit December and I'm writing 12 on on any dates that I'm uh, dealing with. So that's my own personal measuring uh, stick and uh, looking outside. There's a little bit of snow on the ground and it's uh, kind of cloudy and feels a little wintry. So I know we haven't officially entered winter yet, but uh, it feels like the holiday winter season now. So for what that's worth. Uh, Jim's joining me. He may or may not agree with my determination that winter holiday season really starts in December 1st, but uh, uh, nonetheless, he's going to bring us a batch of questions for us to answer on the show today, and uh, hopefully you'll find it enlightening. If you have your own questions you'd like to submit for the show, just send them to Jim directly. Jim at jimhelps.com is the email address. That's jimhelps.com. Make sure in the subject line you indicate that it's a question for the podcast, and we'll put it into the put it into the mix for him to consider bringing to the show. So, Jim, thanks for joining me once again this week. You always thank me for joining you, like it's a, a big issue. Well, for well me. sometimes you're not here, and I have to do it by myself. True, true. Something you've true. never done do in by, your life. I would do it by myself if I knew how to run all that equipment you have. I. I don't know how to do it. So how could I do a podcast by myself? And then people wouldn't want that because they'd have to listen to me nearly the whole show. It's usually you who talks the whole show, not mm-hmm. me. They wouldn't know what to do if it was just me talking. Yeah, I think they'd probably get over it. But you're right. Until I until I teach you how to use the recording equipment, which I'm pretty sure is never going to happen. Uh, <laughs> it's either going <laughs> to you, you'll never be doing a solo show. <laughs> because you don't want to teach me or you don't think I'm capable of learning. Oh, you're capable of learning, just maybe not that. Oh, okay. So you're saying it's beyond my capabilities. I All think right. I, pro- I, pr- I could probably get you there, but it'd be painful, and I'm not sure. It would be painful. That it. I will not dispute that. I'm, 
I still haven't installed that whole wireless camera system that you had me buy this summer out of fear. <laughs> but I will uh, jump into that now that I have my, I can't say super fast, but folks, I live in the middle of, I can't say middle of nowhere, oh. but it's it's rural enough where there's no cable out here. So I used to have some weird microwave kind of internet. I don't know what it was called. Mm-hmm. It's called Rise Broadband is the company, but the service that they offer, I'm not sure what it's called. But I could only get about 10 to 15 megabytes on the download, which wasn't really that good. And that's when it was working. But I get the Elon Musk thing now that you have it too up in the mountains, right, Chris? The Elon Musk internet there, yep. Starlink. Yep, that's what I've got at my uh, my remote RV location. Yeah, remote RV location, and you have a camera system set up on it. And when I saw it, Chris showed it to me, I said, I got to get that. So just before I left for uh, my five-week trip across the country, uh, people came and installed my Elon Musk internet, and I've been using it since I've been at home, and it it works much, much better than what I had. Mm -hmm. So now I'll try to hook up the, the wireless camera system. I'll let you know how that endeavor goes. Perfect. Okay, so today we're going to start a little bit different. I haven't shared this with you. Um, in honor of Charlie Munger passing, I know a lot of our listeners are are Vanguardian VGs, we like to call them. That's just my terminology for do-it-yourselfers. I know people don't have all of their money at Vanguard. We have some Fidelians here, some Schwabians who, who keep a brokerage-style account. But for the most part, people listening to this podcast are do-it-yourselfers. You're usually passionate about low-cost index investing, and you geek out on investing. So you probably have heard of Berkshire Hathaway and its most famous uh, matriarch, um, Warren Buffett. But Warren had a sidekick. I hate to use that term. It sounds derogatory, but that's not where I mean it. But a silent partner, I guess you could say, Charlie Munger. And he passed away. So I was reading, Chris, a little... uh, story about him i guess you could say i don't really think it was an obituary but it was from uh reuters and they included a whole series of quotes apparently charlie was known as having uh interesting and funny quotes Mm -hmm. so i thought in between every question i'm going to read one of charlie munger's quotes how's that oh i think that's a nice way to honor him i thought so Uh, and i think our listeners will enjoy it I, i he he Had some pretty good quotes. I'll give the the gentleman credit. He lived to 99. So for those of you who don't understand why Chris and I believe passionately in lifetime guaranteed secure income, those of you, especially men who think I'm just going to die at my average 82 or something like that, I'm going to die. I'll never see 85. Uh, Charlie lived to 99. Warren's 93. So longevity can happen. I know it's always going to happen to someone else, the other guy, as we like to say here. But this longevity uh, is something to keep in mind. And one of the reasons I passionately believe, and Chris does as well, although I don't want to put words in his mouth, I believe he passionately believes in covering the minimum dignity floor with lifetime guaranteed secure income. I think I told you, did I mention last time I was home at, uh, I went to the nursing home before I caught my cold to visit my dad, uh, about the 105-year-old woman that I think he's kind of smitten with. Did I mention her? No. Uh, there's a 105-year-old woman. My dad, I was wheeling him in a wheelchair at 89 because he's got hot 
condition folks and he can't walk too far uh, he can still take care of himself but walking too far and he had the 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 dance hall we were going to go to was way on the other side of the nursing home much too much for him to to walk so i wheeled him in his wheelchair there was a woman walking in the other direction in a walker and she looked good i would have pegged her somewhere in her late 80s, early 90s, not that at that age it matters. And as she passed my dad, they hugged. And my dad's in the wheelchair. He didn't get up, but she kind of bent down and, and they kind of hugged. And um, he says, oh, I love her. But he, he, not in the real sense. His, his wife was there. So it didn't mean in the real sense. Um, but they went on to tell me she's 105. Wow. And she walks around in that stroller, you know, the one with the wheels that they hold on to, and she dances. So she was coming back from where I was taking my father and not she holds the stroller. Um, it was explained to me. One of the nurses uh, explained to me she kind of holds the stroller and just kind of moves back and forth. It's not like she's out there breakdancing at 105. But for those of you who don't feel longevity, can be an issue for those of you who still question my passionate belief in covering your food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare expenses. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, 99.93. My oldest client who sadly passed away. I don't, she did. She reached 99. 99. And this 105-year-old woman who's still walking in a stroll of, do you, what do you call those things? A stroller, a walker? Is that what they call it's a walker, walker? I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, a walker. My dad, even at 89, is still alive, and I hope he's here for many, many more years. Even though he's he can't walk and move like he used to. Longevity is there, and before you spend one red cent on fun, which is what we all want to do when we retire. We know we're entering our 60s and 70s, the last third of our lives. We're not going to get younger, stronger, and healthier. But before you spend one red cent on fun, you have to give an explicit promise to the older you. Their food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare expenses will be covered as long as they live whether they have money or not. And that means lifetime guaranteed secure income. And it truly will help if you take care of that. It truly will help you feel more comfortable spending on total non-important, total discretionary fun. Some would say, unnecessary things but to me they are necessary you need to enjoy your last third of your life and i want to get as many memories in my 60s and 70s of my last hikes my last elk hunts my last alaskan salmon fishing trips i want to get all those memories that i can so when I am in my 80s and 90s, I'll enjoy those memories and photos and videos and, and whatever other recording devices they will have over the next 20 years. 
But it all comes down, folks, to recognizing you might be a Charlie Munger, a Warren Buffett, this 105-year-old woman, my 99-year-old client who passed away, oh, my 89-year-old dad. Okay, that's enough of my going off that uh, little tangent. So let's get to his, I love this quote. I, I like a lot of them. So again, we're honoring Charlie Munger, and in between uh, every question, we will read, or I will read, a quote from Charlie Munger, according to Reuters. I didn't vet these, but Reuters is saying Charlie said this. Invest in a business any fool can run, because someday a fool will. If it won't stand a little mismanagement, it's not much of a business. I kind of like that quote. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. I haven't, uh, you know, I, I I will admit I'm not an active follower of of their quotes, but I, you know, pay enough attention to see some of the stuff that uh, Warren and Charlie would would release over all the many years they've been doing this. But uh, yeah, most of the stuff I heard him say was quite intelligent, which shouldn't be a surprise because I was going to say it very shouldn't be a surprise at all. People, right? Nice. Okay. Do you want Social Security first or Irma first? Mm. This is December. This is when we, we throw caution to the wind and we do whatever the hell we want. So do you want I think Social Security first or Irma first? Let's do Social Security first. We'll stay, okay. tr we'll stay traditional on this first day of stay December. Stay true to tradition. Mm -hmm. All righty. This gentleman um, came to us from the podcast website. So this, I believe, is a... Oh, blog website, not podcast website. I apologize. Yeah, it's relatively new, Chris, because he has no idea we have a podcast. He found us through an internet search while he was looking for help with his social security. So he ended up on helpwithmysocialsecurity.com, which is our firm's, or I should say Chris's, because he does all the writings on it, uh, blog. So we'll turn this question into a blog post as well. So hopefully this gentleman will hear the answer. But um, we'll also reach out to him and tell him to listen to the podcast uh, if he wants his answer sooner. All right. He has no idea about uh, questions of hints of the state he lives in, Chris. So I'm going to uh, go out on a limb here and come up off the top of my head with a question. It's a state named after a very big river. Uh, I don't oh, know. Don't even think for Mississ Pete's sake. Mississippi. All right, that was a give me. I was trying to be nice. I mean, here. it could have been could have been Missouri. It's still Missouri's pretty big. True, river the too, Missouri right? River. And that's a big river, but yeah. I would have said a very big, dark river. That would be the Missouri. Yeah. But uh, all right, Mississippi, you are correct. Okay. All right, my wife retired in January 2023 and started receiving her Social Security retirement benefits at age 62 in March of 2023. She went back to work November of 2023 and will earn more than $1,770 in November and December. So we went and spoke to Social Security tonight to report she was working, but we were essentially told not to worry about it because she was in her quote-unquote grace year and that this grace year will last through February of 2024. Based on what I have read, this doesn't make sense to me. Can you please enlighten me? What are our options? Will she have to pay her November and December Social Security benefits back 
because their earnings will exceed 1770 Okay, this is a good question. We haven't talked about grace here for a while, so this give me a chance to kind of get people up to speed on that. So what they're referring to there is a variation of the earnings test for Social Security. And the basic rule on the earnings test or earnings limit is that when you claim your Social Security prior to your full retirement age, so always focus on the fact that the month you reach your full retirement age, there is no earnings test applied anymore. The earnings test works like this. In the years from 62, well, actually, depends on the benefit you're receiving, so I won't be that specific. So if you're receiving a Social Security benefit prior to your full retirement age, you will um, be affected by the earnings test if you earn over certain limits. And the limit for 2023, because we're still in 2023 here, and, and the number he mentioned in his email is the 2023 number. So I'll stick to talking about this from 2023 standpoint. Uh, the annual earnings test for 2023 is $21,240, which is the equivalent of $1,770 a month. And that's where he's getting that $1,770. So this earnings test applies in all years prior to your full retirement age up until the year you actually turn your full retirement age where the earnings limit is 56520 a much higher limit. But for most people, they're worried about that much lower limit in the earlier years prior to their full retirement age. So what happens here is if you are collecting a Social Security benefit and also working, if you make more than $21,240, they're going to reduce your Social Security benefit $1 for every $2 over that limit of $21,240. Now, in the year of full retirement age, the that number is you know, much larger, as I mentioned, the 56520 and the offset is is less. It's a dollar for every three dollars over that limit. But he's in that phase. She, she's only sixty two, so she's clearly far away from her full retirement age. So she's affected by the twenty one two forty cap. But they realize people oftentimes work for a while in the year and then retire, and then they have no earnings. So they decided it would be unfair for people to apply the earnings test if they maybe made more than the 21240 in the early months of the year, and then they had no income once they went on Social Security. So they devised a new rule. It's called the special rule for the earnings test or something along those lines, the special rule. And it's generally referred to as the grace year. The grace year states that if you elect it, if it benefits you, they will apply the earnings test not on an annualized basis, but on a monthly basis. And that's where that 1770 comes in. And what they effectively say is we will ignore the annual earnings test. If when you are on Social Security in the first year of claiming, the first 12 months of claiming, as long as you don't make more than the monthly amount, the 1770 in this case, we don't care how much you made in the months before you filed for Social Security. We don't care. We'll ignore that even if you made a ton of money in the early years of the year because now you're making zero or less than the 1770 per month. So it's kind of a, a way of them replacing the annual earnings test with a monthly earnings test. What they're concerned about is she went back to work and is in November and December going to make more than that 1770. Well, in their case, first of all, I'll, I'll address their specific case. They stated that she retired in January. So unless she made a ton of money in January, 
she likely is going to be underneath the annual earnings test. So the monthly limit isn't even going to affect her. And if, let's say, she does make, say, $3,000 a month, which is over the seventeen seventy, that's only $6,000 for November and December. Clearly above the seventeen seventy that they're worried about. But I think the Social Security rep was correct in saying, don't worry about it. But they gave him the wrong reason. It wasn't because they're in their grace year, because normally what would happen if you earned, say, $3,000 in in a month that you were kind of sheltered using the special rule, you clearly exceeded the 1770. And what they do then is say, well, we're not going to apply the monthly test this month. We're going to go back and look at the yearly test and apply it that way, which might completely wipe out your benefit for this month. But then the month after that, they'll look at it again. So it doesn't permanently harm you, but it might destroy your benefit for that one month when you went over. That's essentially what they do is they fall back on the annual test uh, if you exceed that monthly amount in a grace year by, you know, by any, even a dollar. They say, well, you violated the rule. Um, we're going to go back to the annual or yearly application of the earnings test. So I suspect this is a non-issue for this emailer because the chances that they made more, you know, more than 21,240 having retired in January and then only making some amount that they aren't clear, but over 1770, you know, uh, they didn't share with me how much more. So it is possible they're going to blow through it. And if that's the case, Yes, if the if she made a ton of money in January before retiring, and then she's making a lot of money in November and December, way more than the 1770, they might find themselves subject to the annual test for those month months, November and December, and completely wipe out the benefit. It won't apply to the months between March and November because she was not working at all. She was retired. She had first claimed, and this grace year only applies in the first 12 months of you claiming your Social Security benefit. So that's why they mentioned her grace year goes through February of 24. She claimed her benefits in March of 23. So March through February of the next year is 12 months. And so each month they kind of look at it independently but if you go past that monthly amount, then you expose yourself to the annual amount. But I think in their case, the annual amount is going to protect them. So they didn't give me all the details for me to absolutely promise that that's not going to happen. But I think if I read between the lines and I look kind of at a reasonable interpretation of their situation, that um, they're probably totally fine. Um, but it's all going to depend on how much she made in January before retiring and then how much was made in November and December. As long as it was under the annual limit, then you will not be subject to the earnings test. It's not like when you get shoved into the grace year application, the special rule where they're applying it monthly, that you are, they're not, they're not abandoning the annual application. If the annual application of the earnings limit is beneficial to you, the, then you win. If the monthly application is beneficial to you, then you win there. It's a win-win. They don't harm. It's not like you flipped over to one monthly application and now you can't go back. That's not how it works. They, they, they look at it uh, kind of simultaneously is the way I would describe it. Um, so I think they're fine, but, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll let them know this answer. And if there's more details that add a twist to this story, I'll circle back on the podcast and let everybody know. But, 
pretty sure they're going to be fine uh, unless they're making a lot more in November and December than I suspect. Yeah, I'll have uh, Jacob reach out to them, let them know that we answer. Again, I don't even know if they know we have a podcast, um, but we'll also try turning this answer into a uh, blog post over the next couple of weeks and he can read it there as well. Yeah. Okay. Great. All righty. Let's get – oh, wait. No, we have to do the Charlie Munga question. Goodness, I was almost ready to skip over Charlie. Sorry about that. All right. Next Charlie Munger quote. Um, no, I don't like that one. I kind of like this one. I think it encapsulates business if you equate business with capitalism. His quote is this. Capitalism without failure is like religion without hell. That really made me ponder and and think because cap, excuse me, failure of businesses is a necessary part of Mm -hmm. capitalism. Right. And businesses fail all the time, sadly, but they do. Uh, And through advancement, not just mismanagement, which was what his previous quote was, um, you don't see horse-drawn buggy manufacturers around anymore because automobiles put them out of business. It's just you, you see that. Uh, what is the the phone that was the, the fruit there? Um, the Blackberry. The Blackberries aren't around much anymore, I don't think, because Apple kind of ate their lunch. So I think you need failure. I think that's what he was trying to say. Uh, You need failure. Failure is an essential part of capitalism, just like hell is an essential part of religion, I guess. What are your thoughts on what Charlie said there? Uh, I agree with your interpretation of the application to capitalism. I don't know that it's impossible to have religion without hell, though. I think you certainly can have a religion without the concept of hell, but that's a topic for a completely different podcast. (laughs) Exactly. Not a topic that we will dive into. All right. Uh, Next question will be an IRMA-related question, our income-related monthly adjusted amount. Um, Oh, I knew this this answer, and I think we had this state hint before. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I knew this after reading Daniel Boone's biography. He comes from the state where Kentucky was just a county of this state where I live, before it split off and became its own separate state. So when Daniel Boone, quote-unquote, discovered Kentucky through the Cumberland Gap, although I'm sure the Native Americans would dispute he discovered anything, but when he discovered a route to Kentucky through the Cumberland Gap, he was actually exploring a part of this existing state. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, you can get oh. this. I'm pretty sure we had a question similar. I don't think we've had this one before. I think you must have read this in your history books that you like to read. Um, I'm going on a limb. It's, I mean, obviously, it's a bordering state to Kentucky, but um, was it maybe part of Ohio first? No, no. Ohio hadn't even been uh, settled yet. I don't. Even, I think the Ohio really? Territory might have been named by then. Uh, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Kentucky was a part of Virginia, and of course, West Virginia was a part of Virginia, and then Kentucky was a part of Virginia. Virginia was pretty damn big at one point in time. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Kentucky broke off and became the state of Kentucky, and then mm. during the Civil War, West Virginia broke off and became West Virginia. Interesting. 
I did not know yeah. that. No, did not know that West Virginia broke off from Virginia during the Civil War. Or no, that Kentucky I knew, was. I knew that, but the okay. Kentucky being an extension of Virginia, I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Jim and Chris, I will be starting Medicare in January of 2026, so about three more years from now, Chris. My wife is planning to retire sometime between now, and he sent this email to us a couple months ago, so somewhere between a few months ago and January of 2026. Mm-hmm. What are the earliest and latest dates she can retire that will allow me to use her retirement? as a qualifying event to avoid Irma in 2026. Hmm. Interesting. So let me, I have a notepad in front of me. Let me jot down a quick timeline here. So first of all, Irma, income-related monthly adjustment amount uh, or Medicare premium surcharges uh, for 2026 will be determined by default by your 2024 modified adjusted gross income. So if she were to retire this year in 2023, you wouldn't even have to fire file an SSA 44 because you your income in 2024 would be low. And I think that's what's being implied here by the, the, the uh, using a qualifying event, which by filing on SSA 44, that's the form number, that you ask them to not use the modified adjusted gross income from two years prior, but to use a more recent year, maybe even the current year's modified adjusted gross income for determining your Medicare premiums. So if she were to retire in 2023, then this is a moot point. They're just going to use your much, much lower 2024 income um, at that point. If she were to retire in 2024... That would be, then she's within that range that um, her earnings in 2024, if you retired early in the year, the earnings would probably be low enough where you wouldn't even have to file SSA 44. But later in the year in 2024, if she earned enough to be pushing you above the Irma limit, any retirement in 2024 would be a reason, would grant you the the right to ask for for, uh, forgiveness, if you will, or for uh, a reconsideration uh, in 2026. Essentially what you'd be asking them in 2026 when it rolled around, please don't look at my wife's income in 2024, or technically don't look at all of our income in 2024 because we had a reduction in income since that time due to her life-changing event, the life-changing event being uh, her retirement. So those of you seeking reconsideration and, and what you're really doing with an SSA 44 is just asking them to use a more recent year to do the calculation for Irma. That's what you're doing. So the more recent year has got to have lower income in it than the year they were using by default. Otherwise, you don't gain anything. It's They're going to say, well, yeah, we'll look at this newer, this more recent year, but look, your income is the same. There's no relief. So it's not the life-changing event that gives you relief. It's the life-changing event which then opens the door to them using, by your request, a more recent year of Maggie, of modified adjusted gross income. So I think sometime in 2024 is where the SSA 44 is actually going to start playing a part for them as far as a retirement date for her. But she could retire all the way up until, um, you know, 
2026, you know, in 2026, a retirement, you could um, request a life, you know, say, hey, this is the life changing event. And the income in 2026 is much, much lower than 2024 that you're trying to use. So please use the 2026 income. So she'd for this to work, she'd have to have an early enough retirement in 2026 in order to have much lower income happening in 2026 to justify the request to use the lower income for 26 rather than the higher income from 2024. So the latest date of retirement, he said, my wife is planning to retire between now and then. So I don't think she's considering working into 2026. So the retirement could be all the way up until the end of 2025. If she's saying between now and then, the only way between happens is if she retires before the end of 2025. So really any retirement between now and the end of 2025, as long as your income is going to be lower after retirement, and that might sound strange to people, but sometimes people have other you know, income recognition can be uh, interest and dividends. And it's, it's not just income from work they're considering. It's all your income, pension income, uh, distributions from retirement accounts, all that kind of stuff gets sucked into your modified adjusted gross income. So uh, as long as it's going to be lower later on, I think she's free to retire anywhere between now as we speak. I already mentioned why if she retires in 2023, this is a moot point. You wouldn't even have to file anything because they're not going to look at 2023 for a 2026 Irma all the way through and into 2026. So I think you're in the window right now of retirement that could then provide you the ability to collect or, or pay for Medicare without Irma, assuming your other income sources after her she retires keep you under the Irma limits. You didn't share any of those details. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm saying that because some people think the life-changing event somehow wipes everything out and they didn't really anticipate how they apply Irma using your modified adjusted gross income. Uh, so there's hopefully the answer there, you know, sometime between now and then in that, um, um, I think answers this question. Do you think we, you think I handled that Jim? I think you did excellent Chris, okay. but I am a biased, not impartial observer. <laughs> okay. Well, you don't, yeah, you say that, but you don't have any problem pointing out if I misspeak, just like I don't have a problem pointing it out when you do it. I'm sure you don't. All right. Let's go back to Mr. Munger. Um, goodness, there's so many good ones here. I'm going to go with this one because bankers get a sometimes rightly deserved bad rap. Here's what Charlie had to say about bankers, folks. I don't think you can trust bankers to control themselves. They are like heroin addicts. Now, I don't know the context. That's one of the things with quotes. We don't know the context. Roy just didn't share the context of was he at a, a party of bankers and he was throwing a joke? Were they roasting a banker and he was throwing a joke? Or was he talking in reference to perhaps the 08 uh, crash? Or was this more recent with uh, the the uh, going under of two very large banks this year? I have no idea. But I don't think you can trust bankers to control themselves. They are like heroin addicts. 
Now, if you're a banker listening, this is Charlie saying this, not me. <laughs> Thanks. Good thing you clarified that. <laughs> I had to clarify that. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to get into an annuity question, folks, because an annuity is very similar to Social Security. And I've got a ton of annuity questions. And that's good. And keep them coming, folks. We In June, which is still six months away, we will dedicate the month of June again, like we have for the last two years, to National Annuity Awareness Month. Um, annuities are important. Important for you to know them. Not for, important for you to go out and buy one. I could care less if you go out and use an annuity or not to cover your lifetime uh, secure income needs after counting for your pension and Social Security to protect your minimum dignity floor. Chris and I aren't going to lose sleep if you buy one or not, if you like our approach or not. But what I'm trying to do is educate you to annuities. I recently read uh, a report, Chris, that came out I should have saved it. I'm going to have to try to find this report. I read so much in the morning. When I wake up first thing in the morning, I usually spend an hour in bed reading. And it was a report that came out, I think Blanchett, I I believe he came out with it, but I don't want to credit him this report. I'm not 100% certain. But essentially what it found was advisors who knew nothing about annuities and how they worked were far more likely to not recommend their clients even consider them as part of retirement planning, whereas advisors who maintained strong knowledge of annuities, not necessarily even used them, but just maintained strong knowledge on them, were far more likely to incorporate them when necessary into a client's retirement plan. I believe it was a study that he did, but I'll try to see if I can find that, Chris, and opine more on it. Why do I share that, folks? If you at least listen to these annuity questions and learn about them, they're not the evil ogre that is a well-deserved rep. Don't get me wrong. I love annuities and I hate annuities all at the same time. And I try to use the analogy that annuities are dogs. And do we all know the two types of dogs that I particularly don't like, Chris? Do you remember them? Uh, yippy dogs and chows, I think, are the two. Yippy dogs and chows. Those small little yippy dogs that never shut up, that seem to always be outside my window if I'm somewhere visiting. Or chows. Something about chows, that purple tongue and those eyes. They're just red rum, red rum. You know that's what the dog is thinking. So anyways, and if you're a chow lover and a yippy dog lover, please, I love all dogs. But my point is... All dogs are not created equally. You would not take it. I love using this analogy because I had 110 pound, which is big. If somebody's out there, you'll know. Chesapeake Bay Retriever, 100 plus pound Chessie. I would not have turned Mosby into a lap dog. That dog would not have fit on my lap. And I wouldn't have used a Bashan to jump into the icy Atlantic to retrieve a sea duck in January, which Mosby loved doing. So there's an appropriate place for every type of dog. There's an appropriate place for some annuities. And just like some dogs are irreparably damaged and you should avoid them like a 10-foot pole or the plague, there are many, many annuities that are junk. And that's why Chris and I want to teach you about them. The more you know about them, at least you'll be giving yourself the knowledge to make an informed decision rather than blanketly 
just hating them because of the sins of their fathers, if you will. There's a lot of bad annuity stories, and sadly, there's still a lot of crappy annuity companies still out there. And I'd love to see this industry cleaned up. Okay, that's my little <clears throat> spiel on why we now do annuity questions. Mm-hmm. Jim and Chris, question related to annuities. Uh, this came in uh, after our June series, and he had hoped we could extend our June series, uh, but I'm getting to it now in December. I'm fast becoming a fan of your podcast. I started out being skeptical of your rabbit hole approach. That's not an approach. That's just the way I am, listener. Uh, it's, if, if Literally, if you're in the office, you'll know. Sometimes we'd be talking to someone, and all of a sudden it's like, squirrel, and I'm going somewhere else in my conversation. But having now listened for over a year, I see the merit in hunting those wascally wabbits. I also love the banter, particularly when Chris is chastised for his frequent verbosity. Oh, God, I should have read this question ahead of time. Verbosity? Is that a word? Am I pronouncing that right, Chris? Yeah, close enough. Good. Verbose means a lot of words. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, he's nailed you. Good. Chris is often Chris is chastised for his frequent verbosity regarding answering questions. Oh, wait a minute. Then he put in parentheses. Oh, wait, my mistake. That's Jim. Hmm. So he is a listener. So he is a listener. All right. Never mind. Putting difficult words for me to pronounce and then giving me a dig. <laughs> I only concentrated on his annuity questions, which are at the bottom of this email, or I would have skipped this whole part. <laughs> Okay, I'm from a state that is one of four corner states. Well, you narrowed it down, Chris. Mm, you got yeah. one of four and would be considered the hottest of the four. Oh, this is a damn easy question. So it's one of the four yeah, it's gotta be Arizona. corner states and it's the hottest. Arizona. Arizona, yes. Okay, that was an easy one. That so is Mississippi. This is easy for you. This I today. was leaning towards New Mexico until he said the hottest and then that drug me over to Arizona. So, Okay, I have two annuity questions. What is the shortest advance length of time a QLAC, your favorite annuity, Chris, a QLAC can be purchased within an IRA? I know they are meant to be purchased many years in advance of them being needed as they are considered a deferred income annuity. But what if I wanted to purchase one soon, say two or five years from needing to turn the income on? Would the insurance company not quote a payout amount? because it doesn't have long enough to grow. Okay, a QLAC, folks, is a Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract. The name says it all. Q, qualified, meaning generally in our industry, wherever you see the word qualified, if, if, Chris, if I was to say to you, um, so-and-so is going to be transferring $600,000 over to us, can you have one of your... People program it into our software, and it's a qualified account. That's all I would have to say. And, Chris, you would know what about that? I would know that it's a uh, tax-deferred or, if Roth-style, a tax-free type of an account of, as far as treating treatment of dividends. I'm sorry, distributions, not dividends. <laughs> <laughs> the D word. Yeah, technically dividends because <laughs> right, dividends yeah. from a Roth would be tax-free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's correct. Wherever you see the word qualified, it's going to be in some sort of tax qualified account, Mm -hmm. usually in IRA when you're talking about annuities. But post Secure Act, you're going to see a lot more 
annuities inside 401ks over the coming five to 10 year period. Trust me on that. Okay. The L is where I'm going to longevity. A QLAC is known in the industry as a longevity annuity. Chris, is an annuity, and there's another question here for you. You're two for two on the state. Mm. See if you can nail this. Is an annuity an insurance product or an investment? Uh, it's always an insur- insurance product. It's an insurance product. What insurance are you buying, Chris? Uh, longevity insurance. For the most part. For the most longevity, part. Longevity, yes. Mm-hmm. I was going to say for the most part. There's other insurance you can buy with an annuity, principal protection being uh, the the main one next to longevity. If you're buying an annuity, an annuity at its core is a lifetime stream of guaranteed income you cannot outlive. That's an annuity. It's also a pension and it's also Social Security. That's why we started to answer annuity questions as well. So in a QLAC... It's qualified. It's got to be in a tax-qualified account. In this case, IRAs, QLACs right now are not allowed. Uh, excuse me. No, I apologize on that. I do believe you can get a QLAC in a 401k. You just won't be able to find a 401k yeah. that actually offers right. them. They're hard to find now, if they exist at all. Post-secure, I think you're going to start to find more and more in the future. Okay. Longevity. You buy a QLAC because you feel you could live a long time. If you have, if you just got sadly diagnosed with a disease and the doctor gave you three years to live, I'm not going to recommend you run out and buy an annuity that's going to pay you for the rest of your life a stream of income. Because if you're only going to live three years, but the insurance company has your life expectancy, say, pegged at 28 years, you're not going to get much out of that annuity. And then the, the tail end of the QLAC, Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract. It is a contract between you and the insurance company. Okay. A longevity annuity does not have to be a QLAC. You can buy a longevity annuity outside of a retirement account. A longevity annuity is also called a Deferred Income Annuity or DIA. He even references that, folks, when he says... I know they are meant to be purchased many years in advance of them being needed as they are considered a deferred income annuity. They are. Every QLAC is a deferred income annuity, but not every deferred income annuity is a QLAC. Keep that in mind. A deferred income annuity is longevity protection. What makes QLACs and DIAs and SPIAs unique is they are annuitized. You are not buying a noun. You are creating an action, a verb. Why don't you explain what I mean by that, Chris? Well, when you annuitize, an annuity doesn't have to be annuitized immediately. Some do. The act of turning it into the income stream or giving up access to the money that you might have put in there is usually what we call the verb of annuitization or we are annuitizing the annuity. And at that point, the relationship has changed. You don't have access to the money you put in. You instead are receiving this lifetime stream of income that you cannot outlive. 
Correct. That's kind of where I was going with it. When you buy a QLAC or a DIA, you're skipping the noun. You're going straight (laughs) to the verb. You are giving the insurance company a lump sum of money. And in return, you are getting a smaller stream of income every year that if you live long enough, you will receive all your money back and then some. And how much? Who knows? Are you going to be the 105-year-old woman still dancing in the nursing home, albeit using a waka? Or are you going to be sadly what we unfortunately see a lot in our office, probably more than what we would prefer to, uh, clients sadly being diagnosed with conditions that cut their life expectancy short. You don't know what side of the coin you're going to be on or if your coin's going to land perfectly straight and never fall over, kind of like an egg on, what is it, on the vernal equinox, you can allegedly get an egg to stand up or something like that. Uh, That's the person who just lives to life expectancy, your average. You're going to do the average. But most people are going to not do that. You're not going to come in at average. You're going to fall on one side or the other, dying too soon or living too long. When you buy a QLAC or a DIA, you go straight to the verb and you give up access to that money. So this gentleman is asking, a DIA or a QLAC in this case is meant to be held for a long time and turned on later. And that is, at its core, what these annuities were designed for. It's why the federal government created QLACs after the 08 stock market debacle, and it fell. They realized some people hurt their retirement greatly when the value of their accounts dropped a lot. So they wanted people who feared the potential of living a long time to buy insurance for that. That's all you're doing. You're buying insurance. If I live a long time, I want you to give me money if I'm still alive in the future. And the theory behind it is if you knew you had this stream of income that would turn on at 75, 80, 85 You would feel more comfortable spending money today because if you did live a long time, like magic, poof, this income's going to begin. So at its core, a DIA, a deferred income annuity, or its cousin, the QLAC, is intended for people younger to buy it and defer it. And the government lets you defer a QLAC up to age 85. But you can turn them on sooner. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, a lot of insurance companies have created their own rules. They have to have the minimum rules. And the government doesn't say you must defer a QLAC for a certain number of years. Again, the government, the Treasury Department, when I say the government, Treasury created QLACs or the concept of QLACs. They came out with the concept in 2010 as a result of the 0809 market correction. It took them to 2015 to finalize the rules, and I believe you could start buying the first QLAC in late 15, early 16. They never mandated 
how long you needed the money to sit in the QLAC before you turn it on. They only mandated the longest you could wait before turning it on, and that's age 85. They also said, because they're only available inside IRAs and 401ks, and again, good luck finding one in a 401k, but because they're only allowed inside those type of tax-deferred accounts, the government will forego RMDs on those annuities as long as they're in the deferral phase. So they don't care how long you defer it. So if you want to defer one for just two years or five years, you can. However... Insurance companies may not allow it. Some companies will not allow you to begin the income any sooner than five years after the last contribution or 10 years after the last contribution. Uh, you can put money into QLACs on regular basis. The government allowed that to happen. Some QLAC companies allow that. Others do not. Um, I know there are a few QLAC companies or deferred annuity companies, deferred income annuity companies that will let you turn the income on 13 months after the last premium. And I've seen others 10 years. So you need to find if you want to buy a QLAC and you want the money to begin in two years or five years, you're going to have to find a provider that will allow that. That's where I'm going with this. The government doesn't say, oh, nope, you have to let the money in the QLAC sit for a certain number of years. He also asked, if I turn the income on in two years or five years, could the insurance company still give me an estimate of what I will receive? If you find a company that will let you turn a QLAC on after two years or five years, yes, they will be able to tell you how much you will receive. Because when you buy a QLAC, you must tell them the year you are going to turn the income on. They must, in return, tell you how much you're going to get. So, yes, by default, if they allow it, they will tell you how much you'll get in two years or five years, seven years or 10 years or 14 years or however long you're going to defer it. And then, again, to add a little bit of confusion, but some insurance companies will allow you to turn the income on earlier than that stated date or later than that stated date. Others do not. So you're going to have to find out from the QLAC provider what they offer. Okay. His second, I think I covered that well, but what do you think, mm -hmm. Chris? Did I miss anything? No, I think that's that's exactly what he was looking for. I wasn't. You're obviously more active on the annuity side with the specifics of how the insurance companies handle these things within the structure that Treasury has has defined. So, um, you know, I think adding that that reality that some insurance, you know, many insurance companies won't let you turn it on real quickly. They have that kind of delay period, if you will, uh, was was exactly what he needed to know. Okay, then he gets to MIGAs. You often mention multi-year guaranteed annuities or MIGAs as a possible product to use for accumulation with principal protection and that it functions similarly to a bank CD. You mention the rate you will receive is guaranteed for a period of time. Maybe three to five years is common but that there is also a back-end sales charge or penalty. I call them penalties, folks, 
If I say back-end sales charge, most people don't know what that means. Now, you guys probably do because you actively listen to this podcast. Most people out there would not know what a back-end sales charge meant. But you tell them you're going to pay a penalty. Whoa, wait a minute. Penalty, that's not good. Sounds like I'm going to have to give you money. Absolutely. Okay. Pay a back-end sales charge or penalty if you withdraw your money before the deferral period is up. My question pertains to this penalty period. Is it typically the same length of time as the guaranteed period, or can it be longer? If it's longer, shouldn't you really take into account the interest rate of return and subtract the penalty charge from it to get your true rate of return? I'm going to pause there before I go on on those two questions. I'm going to take his latter one first. I don't feel if you should subtract what you would pay in a penalty from the interest rate to, quote, unquote, determine your true rate of interest unless you actually are cashing the annuity in because the penalty is meaningless if you hold the annuity for the term. If you buy a three-year, a four-year, a five-year, generally speaking, folks, I've seen my guess. I've even seen one now for a one-year. I just saw an ad blurb for it. I certainly would never buy a one-year MIGA, and I don't recommend it. But you can generally get them up for about 10 years. I would imagine there might be some companies offer even longer than 10 years. We generally don't use them in the office more than five years. Yeah, I, I think his question, <laughs> though, just to clarify it, is – he was worried that he'd buy a three-year MIGA, meaning three years you get the guaranteed rate, but it has a five-year penalty period. That doesn't exist. That's not no, how that, that works, right? That does exist, and I'll get to that. So, um, Well, I'm okay, it you... doesn't exist in yeah. for, for someone who wants a three-year MIGA. That would be a strange thing for them to commit to. Yeah, yes. In, in, in a roundabout way, Chris doesn't quite know insurance as much as I do, and I don't know Social Security as much as he does, folks. So every time he answers questions, I learn a little something as well. So I just wanted to get to his latter thing. I don't think okay. you should subtract that out. Let's okay. get to his former question, which is what you were asking. And he's wondering, is there we're now, now I forget even what his former question is. Okay, my question pertains to the penalty period. Is it typical that the same length of time as the guarantee period or longer. Okay, his word typical can throw me for a loop because typically you will see a three-year MIGA with a three-year penalty period. Mm -hmm. That's typical. Right. You will typically see it, but it is not unheard of. And I see this, and this year I do remember a couple of client cases where we used this type of annuity because it was offering the higher interest rate at the time. I have to geek out a little on this, so I don't want to go too deep because there's another question I want to get to. But all annuities, all MIGAs are fixed annuities. Okay, folks? Every fixed annuity by law has to have a stated rate of return. Uh, they usually call it the declared rate. And the declared rate is usually fixed for one year. A MIGA is simply a fixed annuity whose declared rate is longer than one year. And it will be declared for a certain number of years. 
three years, four years, five years, six years, seven years, and so on. But it is not unheard of to find a fixed annuity with a 10-year penalty period that will fix the declared rate for a stated number of years, three, four, five. So technically that is a MIGA because it's a multi-year guarantee on the declared Correct. rate. It, and so. they market them as MIGAs. So mm. it, you have to really do your homework and look at the small print and make sure your penalty period matches the length of time of the MIGA. Yeah, so my comment, think. my confusion was I didn't think those were called MIGAs. So I'm glad you clarified that. That makes more sense to me now that if those are called MIGAs, then exactly what he's worried about could happen. It could happen. And what the insurance company does, they disclose it all to you, usually towards the end of the application, but hopefully the advisor is going to explain it to you or, or the agent or whoever you're working with that's helping you go into this product will explain to you. And it's not a big deal. It's nothing nefarious, folks. Let's go back to a simpler MIGA. Let's say, let's deal with five year MIGA. A typical five year MIGA will have a penalty period that's five years long and a term that lasts five years. At the end of the term, most, not all, but most MIGAs will automatically renew 30 days after your anniversary. So if it's a five-year MIGA, on your fifth anniversary on the date, let's say today is December 1st when we record this, 2023. So December 1st, 2028, that's your anniversary date. If you had opened it December 1st of 2023. Most will give you 30 days, which brings you to January 1st. Happy New Year. They'll give you 30 days to tell them what you want to do. And they'll send you a letter, usually a letter 30 days before your 30-day period even begins. So it gives you plenty of time to make up your mind. And you will tell them what you want to do. If you don't tell them anything, or if you just want to keep it and you don't care, it will automatically renew for another term equal to the original term or five years. So they give you that 30-day window to get out of it. Even though your contract has quote-unquote matured, most MIGAs will automatically renew. There are a handful of MIGAs, though, that will also become what are simply monthly, well, the, the, the industry calls them annual renewable. I just call them monthly MIGAs. We will pay you interest monthly, but you can close it at any time. But that's not automatic. You usually have to, during your 30-day window, tell them, keep my annuity just monthly. Just let it sit here. I call it a liquid MIGA. It's going to sit there. It's going to pay a stated rate of interest. The interest rate it pays, folks, will be woefully lower than current interest rates. The insurance company wants you to renew. They don't want you to keep this as a liquid account. It's very risky for them because they cannot invest those dollars into bonds. How could they? They go out and buy a 10-year bond with it, and then you close it. A year later, when interest rates may have risen like they did in, in 2022, 
and the insurance company is losing money on the bonds that your money is in and they got to go out and sell them, that's too much risk. So they put that money essentially in cash-like holding and it pays nothing, very little. Most MIGA contracts will tell you when you buy it what the stated minimum interest rate will be. And most of them will be around 1% or 2% right now, folks. Okay, so back to his question. If you bought a fixed annuity with a 10-year penalty period and a 10-year hold, but they're going to guarantee the interest rate for three, four, or five years, for it to call itself a MIGA or operate like a MIGA or be marketed like a MIGA, they will give you a 30-day window at the end of the stated period. In my example, five years. They'll give you a 30-day window to do the exact same thing. Get out. If not, you're in that annuity for another five years. Because I'm using a five-year annuity as an example. Five-year MIGA, but a 10-year penalty period. That annuity will automatically renew at a brand new interest rate, and the insurance company sets that rate. So it is possible to get, Chris, a quote-unquote MIGA, Mm -hmm. a three-year, four-year, five-year MIGA with a 10-year penalty period. But they will all give you a window to get out of it, Mm -hmm. a 30-day window. And for those of you in the industry who are thinking, Jim, there's no way in heck you're going to be able to close an annuity within 30 days and move it via a 1035 exchange to another annuity if the client wants to defer the income taxes longer. I know that. The industry that I have seen has acknowledged that. All what they want you to do during that 30-day window is tell them what you're going to do. Yeah. And if you move it, they it's not that it has to be closed within that 30-day period. You just got to tell them in that 30-day period you are going to close it. Because that tells the insurance company, you can probably figure this out, Chris, whoa, this $500,000, don't invest it in bonds. They're going to close it. So they will keep it in a cash-like reserve. The guaranteed interest rate has stopped. You'll be getting the minimum rate as specified in the contract, which is like 1% or 2%, and they'll give you a little bit of time to move it. So it's important that people don't feel, oh, my God, I got to get this money out within 30 days, and I want it to go on vacation. I'm not going to be here. It's going to automatically renew. No. Within the window, just tell them, I'm going to move it. And it's very easy to tell them. They're going to mail you a letter. It's the insurance company. This is all old school, folks. It's still done with paper. They're going to mail you a letter. It's going to be all laid out to you in a very detailed uh, description. And they're going to have a piece of paper you can return to them if you don't want to call them. You can call them and tell them over the phone what you're going to do. But you just check the box of what you're going to do. So whether you're MIGA, ends after five years, it's a five-year MIGA with a five-year penalty period, it's going to auto-renew for another five years if you don't tell them what to do within that 30-day window. Or if you have a 10-year MIGA with a 10-year penalty period, excuse me, a 10-year fixed annuity, 
with a 10-year penalty period, but a five-year guaranteed rate, which is essentially a MIGA, you're still going to get that 30-day window. So I, I listen to this a few times to understand, folks. It sounds complicated, but it's not. We see this all the time. Uh, does that kind of make sense a little, Chris? Did I muddy the waters, mm-hmm. or do you think I cleared no, it up? No, I think that's, uh, that was pretty easy to follow. So that's great. Okay. We got a really cool question. So this last one, make sure you keep it tight because we don't have a lot of time left. How much time do you think we have? About 10 minutes max. Oh, I can do that in 10. Okay. Okay. Let's do a real quick Munga quote. Um, Okay. This one is a geeky one, and then there's a fun one that uh, we'll read in honor of him, the very last one. Uh, This one is definitely for someone, CFAs out there, China Financial Analysts, y'all going to laugh at this. Everyone else is going to be scratching your head. I thought this was kind of cute, but he says, and this really shows you Warren Buffett's and Charlie Munger's uh, understanding of business and, and balance sheets and everything. He says, I think you would understand any presentation using the word EBITDA, E-B-I. TDA, which folks stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Okay, so he must have made this to a group of investing experts. I think you would understand any presentation using the word EBITDA if every time you saw that word, you just substituted the phrase bullshit earnings. I thought that was cute. It's kind of like with annuities, wherever <laughs> yeah. you see the word bonus, what do I say you right. put, Chris? Yeah, BS. <laughs> no, bogus. I tell him you use yeah. the word bogus, but that's not BS bonus. too, like Charlie Munger said. So, yeah. yeah. So, Charlie is saying wherever you hear a company talking about their EBITDA, just substitute the word bullshit earnings. I kind of liked that. And we'll end it with Charlie on this one. He wrote or said, and this is how they ended the Reuters article, I've written my obituary the way I've lived my life. Hmm. So I think that was uh, nice. Okay, this next question, Chris, really got me scratching my head originally on it. And I ended up figuring out what, what the answer was, but I thought it was a very good question. And I'll share a little bit of background with it once I open it. Okay. It's also the new question of the week. And okay. All right. So I know it's short on time, Chris. I liked this question. It really got me thinking. Okay. He says, Jim and Chris, wonderful podcast. Question about the 60-day rollover tax payment strategy you've Mm -hmm. described on the show before. Mm -hmm. We have a client, so I'm guessing he's either a CPA, Chris, or a financial planner. He doesn't say. We have a client with an interesting situation our team was discussing recently. Our client has a significant tax bill for 2023 and never made any estimated tax payments. Initially, we were trying to see whether it would make sense to make a one-time tax payment from his IRA in December to avoid any underpayment 
penalties. Let me pause there real quickly, Chris. What he's getting at, folks, and we talk about this on the podcast, you're supposed to make quarterly tax payments to the government. They don't want to wait for their money. They make you wait for your refund and you get no interest on your refund. But they don't want to wait for their taxes. And if you don't give them their taxes, they're going to hit you with an underpayment penalty. So this gentleman made a lot of money. And as you see in a minute, he owes $250,000 in taxes. He never paid one red cent in taxes. So these advisors are saying, wow, you're going to hit with a, a serious underpayment penalty. We talk all the time on the podcast that money distributed from an IRA directly to the IRS as a withholding will be considered earned, uh, excuse me, received equally throughout the year, even if it was received just in the month of December. So that's the strategy these people are thinking, folks. Okay, here we go, Chris. So he asks, or he goes on to say, okay. After going back and forth here among our team, one of our planners suggested the following to have your cake, excuse me, have your cheap grocery store chocolate cake. So he's giving me a shout out to my cake and eat it too. The problem is the client has such high income for 2023, $250,000 coming out of his IRA to go directly to the government to spread the tax payment out equally is an additional $250,000 of income he's going to have to pay taxes on. So someone in this office thought, let's do this. Let's take the money out now in December and send it directly to the government. $250,000 straight to the government. Mm -hmm. The government receives it as a full 100% tax withholding from the IRA and will consider equal receive equally throughout the year, saving the client the penalty. But there's going to be a lot of taxes. The man made a lot of money this year. He's not going to make as much money next year. So they said in January, they take money out of his IRA again. This man has all his money in an IRA. We take another $250,000 out of his IRA in January, making that money taxable to him in January of 2024 when he's going to be in a much lower tax bracket in 2024. And they use that money to repay right back into the IRA and say that is now a role. They're going to use that money. They're going to pay taxes in 2024 on that distribution and then use that money to put back into his IRA and say the December 2023 money was now rolled over mm -hmm. and is not taxable in 2023. But it was received by the government in 2023 mm -hmm. and will be considered received equally throughout the year and thereby get him out of the 2023 underpayment penalty. You see what they're trying to do, Chris? I what think, do you think? I that? think that would work. I think that would work unless there's some strange rule that you're going to reveal from Ed Slot's insights that the, the money sent directly as a withholding to the IRS 
somehow is disallowed from being rolled over ultimately some weird rule like that but as long as that, that was my take on it you hit the nail yeah. on the head as long as there wasn't I that was, weird rule i think it'll work i was sitting there thinking this violates the mm-hmm. spirit right. of the rule and the irs can clearly see the money in december of 2023 was sent directly to them. Right. And that the IRS would at minimum claim if it came directly to us and now you're saying you're rolling it over, it did not then come from your IRA and you owe us the underpayment penalty. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't send us money in 2023 from your IRA to avoid the underpayment penalty of on $250,000 of owed taxes and then take money out of your IRA in 2024, pay taxes on it in 2024, and use those dollars to pay back money that you sent to us from your IRA because you told us it came from the IRA. That was my initial assessment, that it wasn't going to work. And I thought to myself, this ain't going to work. I'm going to answer this podcast question. It ain't going to work. And this was earlier in the week. Mm -hmm. And then I remembered that night, son of a gun. If you have a 401k and you do a rollover from the 401k, a rollover to you, it's called an indirect rollover. You're going to take the money out of your 401k. You're going to play with it for 60 days and you're going to put it back into an IRA or 401k within 60 days. When you take money directly out of a 401k that is not an RMD, they must, meaning the 401k people, send 20% of it to the IRS as withholding. But the IRS allows you to make up that 20% mm, yep. in a rollover to avoid paying taxes on it. Yeah. So this is an extreme I, version of that. Exactly. And I thought to myself, the IRS is gracing and blessing what this team wants to do. Yep. So I got a hold of the Ed Slock group, explained it to all three of his little minions. And they wrote back to me and they said, Jim, this is going to work. Yeah. This is not only for the reasoning that you said. We went in, the three of them, and started reading the IRC and 590. And they see nothing. Right. That will prevent you from doing this. And we got to wrap up now, folks. Mm -hmm. But this morning, I told you I do all my reading in the morning. As luck would have it, I received an email from a newsletter writer on taxes talking about doing this very strategy and blessing it. (laughs) That you can take money in December, pay the money Mm -hmm. directly to the IRS. And he did point out one thing. Not all custodians will let all the distribution go to the IRS. You better make sure your custodian will do that. But you can take money out of the IRA, send it to the custodian. The IRS. Excuse me, the IRS. Have it considered received equally throughout the year and avoid your underpayment penalty. Then, within 60 days... He didn't talk about taking the money out of the IRA. He said, take money from a bank account that you have. 
that if you sent the money from the bank account as a fourth quarter payment, right. you'd still work. be hit with three quarters of underpayment. Yep. You send it from your IRA directly in, you get no underpayment. Yep. Then take the money from your bank account, put it back into the IRA within 60 days as a rollover. Beautiful. What Beautiful. these people are doing is saying, hey, he ain't got the money. He's got to take it from his IRA. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to get it taxed in 2024 instead of 2023. Yeah, I, I say it'll work. Yeah, I think so too. Since you didn't blow a hole in it after talking to Ed Slot, if they see no specific reason to disallow it, I think it's good. But with that, we're going to have to wrap. We're a little tight on time today, so we appreciate everybody listening, and uh, thanks for bringing those. I think we had pretty good questions today. Um, and uh, Jim, you have a good weekend. Everybody else, we will be back with everyone next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jimhelps.com or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.